Hello and welcome to Colpix Radio, your favorite station on the interwebs. WCPX 66.6 on your pod dial. With me, as always, your host, Django Nudo. And the Smut Peddler. And as we keep telling you together, hashtag, we we are Cultpix. We are indeed Cultpix. And we are going to the cinema. Yeah. We've already been to the cinema in Stockholm and we're off to the cinema in the UK next week. Let's have a little reminder and plug for the fact that every man will be showing the wonderful George A. Romero's 1968 classic, Night of the Living Dead. And we've got an introduction by Dave Norris, famously the last projectionist standing. So I recorded him this week, and it's it's a fun, uh, great intro to the film. So I think, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good thing to watch. Yeah. And that's happening on Tuesday the 21st in London, Bristol, York, and Glasgow, every man, with a repeat on the Friday at the Screen on the Green in Islington. So I should be there for that. So hopefully we had lots of lovely members who turned up in Stockholm, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, wonderful people. And we're actually having another screening in Stockholm on the 27th. So uh, busy, busy. Yes, and do you want to talk a little bit about what's going to be shown on the 27th? Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, Cult for Kids. So we start at 6 o'clock and we're doing two Swedish children's movies from the 70s and 80s. And they are bonkers, both of them. Um, We have some exciting news in terms of new films, but it it ties in with the theme week. Um, So should we just skip on straight to the theme week? Let's do it, yes. Very proud of this one. Yes, because we have been working with a number of uh, great distributors, um, everybody from Something Weird and the amazing Lisa Petrucci in the US to Nikatsu in Japan. But this one is slightly different from the other ones. Do you want to tell us why? Yes, I mean, suddenly we we feel like we have been knighted or something like that because we are working with the (laughs) British Film Institute. Oh, are we, sir, smart peddler? Indeed. And uh, it's uh, amazing because they are, you know, they are restoring films in beautiful, beautiful versions. And they have a line of DVDs and Blu-rays on their own, uh, which I think doesn't compare with what any film institute, I mean, National Film Institute is doing anywhere else in the world. No. And funnily enough, I wasn't really aware of them until, thanks to you actually, you were visiting in London for a um, conference or something mm. and dragged me along to <clears throat> FOP, I think it was, yeah. um, one of the last remaining DVD sellers on the high street and went wild in the basement um, buying Blu-rays and DVDs from uh, this label called Flipside, which turns out is part of the British Film Institute. Yeah. And uh, Flipside is, um, you know, they they claim themselves that it's dedicated to rediscovering the margins of British film, Mm. uh, reclaiming a space for forgotten movies and filmmakers. And that's exactly what they are doing. Yeah. And they kind of almost sound like what Club Super 8 has been doing in Sweden. So it's, it's as if the Swedish Film Institute had come in and taken over our, our livelihood. Yes, which is absolutely unthinkable. (laughs) <laughs> in Sweden. It is, but yeah, you know, bless the British. And we do love them for the fact that they celebrate and treasure quirkiness and eccentricity and 
um, oddballs in general, including in the filmmaking. And let's face it, British filmmaking has always been full of oddballs. Absolutely. Did you know, for example, that I almost wasn't conceived because my parents had a great falling out when uh, my dad took my mom, whom he was dating at the time, to see Ken Russell's The Devils. Oops. Not a great date film. <laughs> That's... That's a that's a bad one. It's not as bad as as Travis Bickle's date film on, on in Taxi Driver, but you know, close enough. But not far off. No, yeah. no. <clears throat> so, um, and I think we um, uh, the curator um, of of some of this series, um, and also a film expert that I think you know personally, Kim Newman. I think he has something to say about uh, Flipside that we can listen to. The point of Flipside is to dig up the British movies that even people like me aren't that familiar with, which obviously is a problem because that means these are not famous films. They don't have a an inbuilt audience in the way that, say, I don't know, Hammer Horror films or even Carry On films have. These are films that are so, so far into what uh, my colleague Julian Petley called the lost continent of British cinema that even Julian hasn't seen them, let alone me. Just by coincidence, these tend to be films from the early 60s through to the mid-70s, although the label may well go outside those parameters in the future. They span a, a wide area of cinema. It's really hard to say that they're a particular type of film because we've got educational films, sex films, commercial thrillers, uh, really cutting-edge art movies. And yet, to me, they are all, if not speaking with one voice, they're all coming from one area. It's almost like a couple of streets in London that, that have produced this. This is why some of the faces keep recurring. And you are uncovering a sort of hidden social history of, of Britain in these movies, uh, in our attitudes to lots of things. That was indeed Kim Newman, who, by the way, is one of the people introducing the Cult Tuesdays with every man later this year. He's doing our Christmas special, Silent Light, Bloody Night. But um, So we didn't interview him ourselves, but this was taken from a documentary about the flip side. Yep. Is that right? Indeed, yes. So the flip side is very wide ranging and obviously we would have loved to have almost everything that they've put out yeah. because it's such an amazing collection. But various rights uh, to the films means that many of them are only available for UK distribution. And so we've had to be selective in what was available and what we thought fitted for cult picks. Uh, but even so, I think we've had some real gems that I'd love us to talk about. So um Shall we kick off with Herostratus? And which I have now listened to the introduction of Kim Newman. He called it Herostratus. Herostratus. Yeah. I, I beg your pardon. I don't know if he's right, but let's go for Herostratus. 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 Heros. Herostratus. Yeah. And, and uh, um, interestingly enough, I think that, I mean, th there are four feature films in, in this uh, deal we have. And they are all kind of um, arty and pretentious. And that's yes. sort of fun for us being more dirty and, and bottom of the barrel cult hmm. movie movies. But these yeah. absolutely fit the bill. And there's, as Kim says um, in his, in his uh, explanation, there's nothing wrong with arty. And, but they're always arty with a twist. They're a bit arty horror. They're a bit arty thriller. They're a bit arty. And um, Don Levy's um, Herostratus in 1967 is visually gorgeous and beautifully restored by the BFI, but it's just, it's one of those films you could actually, you could switch off the audio and just 
admire the you know the visual quality of it and you could see why it hugely uh, must have had an influence on on more established and well-known directors like uh, like Stanley Kubrick, Nick Rogue, um, even ma- more mainstream ones like Michael Winner. Mm, yeah. Kim Newman has something to say about Herostratus and, and its siblings uh, made by directors who were, you know, talented, but really never got a shot. So let's listen a little bit more to Kim Newman. There was the triple damnation you could have. is If you made an art film that the critics didn't like, uh, then you sort of fall into this really strange limbo. You know, art movies that were perceived as failures now look to me really fascinating and actually look a lot uh, cooler and maybe even more pertinent than some of the the, uh, the bigger name British art movies of the time. I'm actually not of the opinion that the worst thing a film can be is pretentious. Um, I actually think sometimes being pretentious is absolutely essential. Somebody has to go too far to set the limit. Uh, also, these filmmakers had their own personal obsessions, as all yeah great auteur filmmakers do. We might not share them. Some of them we might find even hard to understand. Um, um, but I think that doesn't mean we shouldn't respect them, and it certainly doesn't mean we shouldn't look at their movies. Some of these filmmakers were working at a time before we were willing to pay attention to a you know British avant-garde art cinema as well. Um, had they been working ten years later, they might have been as celebrated as say Peter Greenway. Um, but as it was, they came at a time when, sadly, the, the London film critics tended to uh, dismiss art movies that didn't have subtitles. I mean, to me, the tragedy that these people didn't make as many films as Ken Russell did. Um, because if you look at the, the continuity from you know, the very beginnings of uh, a Russell, a German, a Greenaway, to you know, the, the number of movies they were able to rack up in a filmography, and you imagine a world where... Yeah, Jane Arden or Don Levy had made that many movies. Who knows what we might have got out of it? Helen Mirren, I'd say definitely one of the main reasons for um, watching this film. Well, um, one of the main reasons for living, actually. <laughs> Dame Helen is indeed. Yeah. You know, it makes life that much more worth living. Um, so she looks stunning in it, but and, and she wasn't, you know, very much taken seriously. There was a famous interview with her with I think Michael Parkinson, mm. where yeah. effectively he says, "Well, you're getting the roles for the boobs, aren't you?" Yeah. And I think since then she's kind of proved him wrong with pretty much everything she's done. But Definitely. you know, those early films like The Long Good Friday, where she's let's face it, a young gangster mole, mm. kind of like Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface. Um, you know, she had to go through that phase before becoming an older and more serious actress via television and Prime Suspect and so on until she, you know, gets uh, BAFTAs and Academy Awards and whatnot for her um, mature performances. Yeah, and I mean, in this film, she was only 20, 22 years old and, and gorgeous, but also playing it, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek and and very you know wink wink and she knows definitely what she's doing she's not just a pretty face or a couple of great boobs in this film but just to sidetrack on that because i have to impress you with this fact Mm. that you might not know this about me but i have been in helen mirren's um lounge and i've seen her naked oops not together Mm. um this was actually, um, I saw her naked briefly on stage where she was playing Anthony and Cleopatra ah. with the great late Alan Rickman. Okay. And there's a brief sequence towards the end where she 
tastefully lit uh, disrobes and changes. And she was already, I think, in, you know, she was in her 50s then, mm. but, you know, looking. And she still looks gorgeous. Yeah, for sure. And me being in her house, uh, wasn't breaking and entering, I swear. Uh, this is actually a party that was thrown in when I was in Los Angeles, and they'd rented out a private mansion. Mm. Um, I think it was for absolute vodka brand, even. Oh. Um and as they do, the celebrities don't always live in their homes, but they still cost money. So they rent it out. And I found out in roundabout ways that the beautiful house that we were in um, belonged to Dame Helen Mirren, wow. who obviously wasn't at home at that time. Yeah. But, you know, but, if, if you just add those two facts together and don't tell the, the things in between, I, I love it that you, you saw Helen Mirren naked in her lounge. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, you know, never check on a good story. Never check on a good no. story and, you know, always brag. Yeah. Bring it up. So, and also in this film uh, is a actually a, I didn't realize he was in it, and I had to, had to look him up. Uh, Michael Gotthard. Um, yes, I think a lot of people don't have a clue who he is. No, but uh, for for the mainstream audience, he was the uh, the mysterious villain Emile Leopold Locke in uh, mm. the 1981 James Bond film For Your Eyes Only. Yes. Uh, Not one of the greater yeah. bonds, but still good. And he was also um, in Arthur Arthur of the Britons, the TV series as well, where he was uh, Kai. Haven't seen it, but mm. yeah. Sounds and good. And Top Hooper's Life Force. Life Force, um, a favorite, favorite movie of mine. And for mm. Sweden and Swedes, he has a very special place in our hearts. Oh, yes. And I don't think anyone can name the actor, but they can name the <laughs> character for sure. Every Swede, yes. living Swede. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because he was, as, as his, uh, his uh, um, father-in-law says, Noble Athelstan. Noble Athelstan. In the Indeed, TV the... movie Ivanhoe from 1982. Yes, I remember him drinking wine and eating chicken legs and sort of being flippant about <clears throat> everything including inheriting the kingdom yeah and um, he's supposed to marry the fair rebecca but indeed. it doesn't happen um and no. we see him in sweden every yes. new year's day on national mm -hmm. swedish television ever since 1986 that's 35 years i know sam neil tweet who's also in a tweeted about this you know swedes lovely rational people except they go bonkers watching this old television movie it wasn't even like it's a big hollywood production it's a television adaptation of ivanhoe but somehow it's become a holiday tradition in sweden yeah. so that and pizza that and pizza yeah the the, we, we see a peak in 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 takeaway pizzas in sweden on new year's day which is completely unbelievable if you lo look at the statistics ah so well, that we are Swedish hung dish. over eat pizza and and watch ivanhoe watch ivanhoe in the afternoon yeah, yeah. i think it's i think the brits do the great escape yeah. on holiday season yeah. but we have ivanhoe yeah so let's finish off the discussion about herostratus with listening to a wonderful little monologue by Helen Mirren. Do you want me? If you do, there's something you've got to get for me. Well, you do want me, don't you? <laughs> well, what is it you have to give me then? Stable full of big, 
racing stallions. Big lilac Cadillac? No! No! Or lots of tiny pink babies? Don't be silly, of course not. A slinky snakeskin parasol with two knots? No! No! Anybody who really wants me will have to buy me. <coughs> Orators, orange rubber gloves. Now I know there will be people out there who, if they don't know it already, will want to subscribe to Cult Pigs just for the fact of Helen Mirren rubber gloves. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Lovely scene. Moving on now. Uh, Requiem for a Village, Folk Horror by director David Gladwell from 1975. Um, we call it folk horror, but truthfully, and as one of our members pointed out on, on social media, it, it is more folk than horror, but it still has that horror element. And it's an interesting subgenre, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there, there's been an essay on it and a documentary just recently about the whole genre, which is really, really interesting, going you know back in the day and up, up to very recent films. Um, but also this fil- specific film, um, as you say, it's not that horrific, and it's you know kind of super experimental and just weird. Yeah. <clears throat> It is definitely, and it's, uh, but it's, it's definitely captures that rural village feeling of, of also the seventies. So it's not up there with the Wicker Man in terms of uh, the scares, or um, you know, Ariaster's Midsummer in terms of you know visual horror. But it's got a sort of genteel, um, vague creepiness to it. Mm. But it's more of an observational piece, really. And um, yeah, and I mean the director. He was he was actually uh, a film editor and uh, didn't do much directing work. So it's it's interesting that he got the chance to make this very very stunning and eerie film. Yeah, it it reminds me a bit of um, leaning towards that kind of tradition of Terence Davis. You know, mm. the, the long day closes and these kind of slow observational, slightly sleep inducing, but nevertheless kind of really capture a certain england um that's now if not gone you know it's it's definitely of a different era yeah yeah it, it looks like a little bit the the the, the whole environment looks like uh, m- murders in midsummer that kind yes of, uh, um, you know ambiance that's exactly it. I would it's, say, yeah. it's sort of folk horror of midsummer <laughs> yeah and the music choice in it uh, is really interesting um and I, I found this specific piece of music uh, in the film's trailer that can be found on YouTube. So it's a, it's a choir piece, and uh, let's listen a little bit to that.
the next title from the BFI, which is Voice Over, a drama by Christopher Monger um, with the great Ian McNeese. Nice. Yeah. Am I pronouncing it correctly? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's from 1981. And he's one of those actors that whose name you don't recognize, but the moment you see him you go, "Oh god, of course it's him. Mm. I've seen him in in loads of stuff, loads of. I mean, he he's just a great character actor across television, film. Um and this is one of his rare films where he's got a, a starring role yeah. as Fats Bannerman. Yeah. And he's a radio talk show host you can say but reading mm. these romantic pieces yeah and uh, but he he uh, he finds that reality and and fiction are clashing and mm. he sort of breaks down over the yeah. f- the course of the film it is uh, a funny little film it's it's low budget mm. but cleverly stretches you know the use of the budget and and very atmospheric um and it kind of brings to mind um more recent films like i don't know if you saw uh berberia sound studio oh yeah of course with, yes yes yeah indeed with that other again um god i forget his name mm. now only but again he's one of those great characters no yeah they just they just uh, they they just work whatever they're doing they're they're great yeah yeah they fit the part yeah. and um but uh it's in the other thing is the plot vaguely vaguely reminds me of there's a, a john candy film i think from the late 80s or 90s mm. where he writes a sitcom romantic drama and then suddenly he finds himself in it right yeah i mean this this is like the hollywood glossy happy version of of uh, voiceover which is a much darker film of course which is a very dark film yeah. but i mean um, in terms of ian mcneese if if it if people listening still don't don't you know can, can't connect the dots um he was for instance in uh, you know he's a big stage actor and has he's been doing shakespeare and mm. all of that but i mean in terms of yes. movies he was in the englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain Yes. And oddly enough, then uh, in Ace Ventura, when nature calls, which might oh, be yes. a surprise <laughs> for people. That's right. Wasn't he the bad guy? In yeah. That or, yeah. Um, and also he was yeah. in Day of the Dead. And for you, you Whovians out there, I think he's been in a number of, of Doctor Who episodes. <laughs> but to me, yes. first mm-hmm. and foremost, I remember him as the, um, the news reader in the huge TV series Rome. Oh. So I see him in a, in a robe most of the time in my head. Like, oh yeah, that's where I, I remember him. Well, very appropriate if he plays a radio part in voiceover for him to be reading the news mm. to the Romans. Exactly, yeah. And the voice, the voice was f- fading, the, the, pa- the power of speech f- failing, the, the, the man who, c- who, could, who could provide thunder, the... The man who could create rain. The man who could create opulent balls. Death and destruction. Even he could create all these, but the power of speech, the, the chance to be precise, the hope of... 
communication slipping away, a man left gibbering into a microphone, an effects man left to run riot. God help us if that happens to us here on Cold Picks Radio. If we just lose it. <laughs> Maybe we lost it already. Uh, we've it, it's bound to happen at some point mm. but fortunately two of us one of us yeah. the other one to pick up so uh great film definitely worth uh checking yeah. out voice over there and now a film that we've already had up on the site for a while sleepwalker when this is actually more of a pure kind of horror um by saxon logan from 1984 for those people who haven't seen it do you want to set up the premise yeah, there are two couples um, in an old Victorian house. They, they eat and drink, and then they drink a little more, and they drink a little more. And one of the wives says that her husband, while sleepwalking, has tried to kill her. Mm. And of course, then everyone goes to bed, and you can guess the rest. Yes. Or, or not. But, <laughs> or not. It's, it's but it's still... it's it's. A, pretty cool film and it's also a kind of a satire uh, it is and and as i think we also have in the copy text on cult Picks, it's um it remin- reminiscent of otherwise unlikely bedfellows lindsay anderson and dario argento mm. it does but at the same time it also to me um a little echo of the other kind of films that we have which are the um kind of 40s and 50s, um, a lot of Bela Lugosi horrors, not the vampire ones, but, you know, the kind of monogram pictures where, you know, creepy doctor or um, husband killing wife, which, you know, were always not much more than an hour and five minutes, typically, uh, but yet still had a a creepy premise at heart and sort of a good uh, twist or two along the way. Yeah. So let's listen to uh, um, some of the intro music to Sleepwalker, which is really cool and and, uh, scary. was definitely suggestive yeah but we don't only have films feature films from uh the british film institute do we no we've got two tv shows as well and we're super happy about this although it does come with a big caveat at the start of it before people get massively pissed off with us when they try to watch them yeah one one of them at least yes one of them at least which is our first major geo block now we swore we would never do this uh, mm. We were going to be, you know, fully free 
available in the whole world, apart from maybe North Korea, uh, for everybody. So cold pickers across the borders. Then the reality sets in yeah. that when we try to negotiate rights. Yeah. So, so this what? one we only have for North Korea. <laughs> Indeed. Unfortunately. Kim Jong, it's your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, it's, um, it, it's, it is a socialist um, territory, <laughs> but it's not uh, North Korea. It's Northern Europe, mm. more specifically the Nordics. So yeah. <clears throat> uh, Scandi, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Iceland. I don't know if the Baltics are in there as no, well. Do we have I many members so. in the Baltic states? No. Well, so we, 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 we in in this case, we, 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 we thought we'd make a, you know, a, well, exception, an exception, because this is a, a really, really a favorite of ours. And also, it makes sense, especially in Sweden, when where these guys are so big. I think it's in Sweden and France that they had their biggest fandom. Yes. But that was Outside something they did later Kingdom. on. Yep. So effectively, <clears throat> so we've been beating about the bush or the set, mm. but the, it is the comedy series Do Not Adjust Your Set, which ran in the United Kingdom between 1967 and 69, and is effectively a pre-Monty Python yes. type of comedy sketch series that, you know, it has so much uh, Monty Python DNA, not least by virtue of four of the... Um, six pythons yeah. uh, being part of it. Exactly. We had Michael Palin, Terry Jones, Eric Idle, and some uh, animation as well mm. yeah. by Terry Gilliam. Exactly. Now, they were joined by uh, two other uh, great actors, David Jason, um, who also did Only Fools and Horses of the Comedy, and Denise Coffey, um, a face who will be familiar. Yeah. Um, and there was a musical interlude as well with it. Yeah, and I think one of one of the band members was was called the seventh uh, uh, Monty Python member later on. Ah. Um, I don't have his name in my head right now, so please, listeners, do I, help out. Yeah, I I do remember reading about it, yeah. but it's sort of like the fifth Abba or mm, the exactly. fifth Beatle. <laughs> so, and I think he recently passed away, unfortunately. Ah, but yes. this um, yes, in in each uh, show was the uh, the Bonzo Dog Band, or as they also were called, the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, uh, who performed very odd and funny songs indeed. Um, so uh, I, well, I have now to divulge my age, but I saw it as a kid. <gasps> On Swedish That's television, and I was they showed it much later in Swedish than they did in the UK. <laughs> no, it was at that time. <laughs> so I was about seven years old. I didn't get most of the, you know, the the the, the dialogue jokes, no. but it, it's also very visual. It's so hugely visual. I yeah. enjoyed it, and in Sweden, it was called "Rör inte knappen," ah, which I means see. "Don't touch that dial." That's right. Yeah, which, which doesn't really make of, sense. But <laughs> well, yeah, because do not adjust your set probably mean more to do with kind of don't tune in or or mm. it is meant to be grainy or whatever. yeah exactly but, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah sweets always know how to improve things without actually improving them <clears throat> yeah exactly yeah but um as as i remember it it was great and i mean it's it's uh you know it's quite a long series it was produced by two different production companies i think Yes, um, but um, and it didn't play on the BBC. It actually played on the commercial channel, oh, yeah. um, ITV, or as they were back then, a bunch of regional. Um, so this was Thames Television, yeah. which, again, for me growing up, I remember all these 
iDense from all the regional channels where you have Thameslaw. I think that's one that goes up. The Tower of London and Big Ben goes up from the Thames River and goes ba 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 ba. Yeah, that's or it. something. That's that's, that's the only thing I remember of this show is the is the <laughs> is the vignette before it. <laughs> Didn't I it's do true. it well? It's true. Yay. Yes, you you did it beautifully. We we'll try to edit that in with the music later or later after you know after working on this. And, yeah, uh, laid over. So, uh, without further ado, I think we should play a song by the Bonzo Dog Band, and this is an album I have on vinyl. And I had it since I was a kid, and I really, really cherish it. So it's getting all all scratchy and soft, but uh, we have it in digital. Sounds even better for it, I'm yeah. sure. So this is the Bonzo Dog Band with the song Hunting Tigers Out in India. With big hungry tigers, table manners have no place. Dear, 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 no, dear, 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 no, dear, 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 oh, dear, no. After they have eaten you, they never say their grace. Dear, 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 no, dear, 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 no, dear, dear, no, dear, no. Hunting tigers can be ripping fun. Like three blind mice see the hunters run. Hunting tigers out in India. Out in, out in, out in India. Yeah, you all know. Tigers are out in, out in, out in India. They bite, they scratch, they make an awful fuss. It's no use stroking them and saying, puss, puss, puss. So, hunting tigers out in India. Out in, out in, out in India. You should be like me. But look at you, you're shaking all over. What's shaking, you silly goose. I'm just doing the work to say that's all. Tigers don't go out on rainy nights. They've no need to whet their appetite. Hunting tigers out in India. Out in, out in, out in India. How many tigers can you find with forks and serviettes? Out in India, out in, 
probably should mention that no actual tigers were hurt in the making of this song or indeed the TV series Do Not Adjust Your Set, True. which was originally conceived for children, but I guess kind of outgrew that. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, no. it's truly a forerunner of, of Monty Python and all that would ensue. And we've got 12 episodes on there. I think mm. maybe we're missing two, but more than that, the world is missing many more of these uh, episodes, which were wiped. Oh, yeah. Um, as they were recycling tapes and saving on space and not keeping an eye and towards the future of what would be Britain's comedy uh, heritage. Yeah. That, hap that happened, didn't it? That also happened in Sweden with the Trasan och Banane, this children's yeah. show. They, they Some of them were wiped the whole thing. They did, and they've rescued it from people's home recordings yeah. on VHS, I think, and similar. But the other victim was, of course, the uh, future fellow Pythons, um, John Cleese and um, uh, Graham as well, mm -hmm. who uh, Graham Chapman, who at the time when they were doing Do Not Adjust Your Set, were doing their own um, comedy sketch show um, called Not the 1948 Show, oh. together with bug-eyed um, Marty Feldman, yeah. Marty Feldman, mm -hmm. thank you. <clears throat> I'm having a real good day for remembering <laughs> names here, uh, which I think they wiped even more of them, although oh, you can still see some episodes and fragments of it um, on YouTube, oh, including that's... the one where Mon uh, where John Cleese has, is a newsreader and has his newspapers stolen. Ah, that's lovely. Somebody stole the news. It's a funny one. Yeah, I think I've yeah. so seen one segment when where uh, Marty Feldman and, and John Cleese is on a train as well, and, and Marty Feldman claims he is in invisible. Ah, <laughs> and it's funny. So look it up on on YouTube. Um, yeah, after you finish watching on Cold Picks, yeah. if you're Scandinavian, yes. so uh, we 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 really are sorry, and we beg your pardon for for that. Anyone outside of Scandinavia can't watch. Do not yep. adjust yourself, but you can watch the children's science fiction TV series, Masters of the Un of, <laughs> of the Universe. There, there you go. <laughs> that came later. <laughs> My God, Masters of Venus. Yes which is even older, from 1962. Amazing that they didn't wipe that one. Yeah. Or maybe because they were shot on film. I think this um, must have been shot on 16 mil. yeah. Yeah, so they didn't throw out the negatives. Hopefully, God bless them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were lucky that they didn't get made later on, on, on Venus tape, on videotape. <laughs> Venus uh, tape, that's, that's the <laughs> local video store where you used to rent films. So um, it was by uh, Ernest Morris, who frankly I was not, um, aware of, but mm. he did the Vice, Richard the Lionheart, mm. wow. and um, actors such as Norman Woolland, who I'm told was in The Guns of Navarone, oh, yeah. and Hamlet, one of the Hamlets, yeah. many Hamlets, Mandy Harper, Four Winds Island, again, not heard of. Mm. But it is a, a good, cute um, children's uh, TV show. And don't tell me that you grew up on this as well. <laughs> no, I, w I would have been too young for this. And, and I don't think it ever aired in Sweden. So um, it, this is news to me. It's going to be, you know, so much looking forward to it. And yep. the, 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 the long story short, it's the story of a spaceship from Earth landing on uh, Venus, where the crew meets a race of beings that they suspect are descended from the lost city of Atlantis. Ooh. But how they got there, I don't know. You'll find out, it's, maybe. It's a great setup. You have to watch it to find out. <clears throat> yeah, so it's a serial in eight parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are so proud to have it. And we are so happy <clears throat> that we have uh, 
that that the British Film Institute have, has given us the the opportunity to to screen all of these four films and two TV series. Yes. No. We we really love them. It was you know long negotiations to make it happen, and we've cheekily on the website called it the British Filth Institute. But we love them for the fact that they have preserved not just the artsy and important and worthy kind of Bill Douglas and other films, um, but also these forgotten, neglected, and often overlooked classics of film and television. Yeah, and of course, I, I must must say, hip hip hooray for the Swedish Film Institute to have now restored seven of the films we, Swedish cult movies that we have the rights for. Yes, in beautiful so, new digital uh, copies. So, so uh, you know, very, no, very too. happy about Belatedly, that. Belatedly, they're coming around to the the BFI flip side yes. way of looking, but yeah, yeah we're doing so. Um, we're very grateful for them. Absolutely. Uh, there's not really any other new films on the site that we need to talk about now. There will be a few that will um, upload. Little Abe and I suppose we had Frozen Scream, which we didn't talk about. Mm. As well as was Schulmädchen verschweigen. That's true. Yes, I don't think we we talked about that, but that is what schoolgirls don't tell, and it's a, a sexploitation film by Ernst Hofbauer, who did this Schulmädchen report or schoolgirl report films in Germany, and this one features both Christina Lindberg and Marie Ekore, the two major uh, centerfold girls in Double Sweden. Double whammy. Yeah, at that time, and it's completely nuts so just uh, hang on to your your sofas or chairs and and watch the, watch it it's it's bananas we have it both <laughs> with with english dialogue and with german dialogue yes we double up we don't and we don't make it easy for ourselves by uploading one film and just switching between two language tracks you no. get two films two different sets of posters um two different audio tracks no. It's it's almost like we're pretending that we have more films than we actually have on the site. We shouldn't talk about that. Shh. Giving away all the secrets here. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's a fun film, and that means that we have tons of films with our favorite favorite Swedish star Christina Lindberg. Yes, although Maria Kore is not bad either. True, and we also have her in the film, The Keyhole. Yes. So happy about that. And multiple versions. Yeah. Um, any word on Frozen Scream? Uh, it's a weird little horror film about uh, a crazy scientist creating zombies. So, you know, just watch it. Yeah, yeah. Mad scientist. Mm. It's a big, fat subgenre on cult pics. Indeed, yeah. And as zombies are too. So, I think we're coming to the end of this week's episode. Uh, plug once again, if you can make it, uh, to the Everyman screenings of um, Night of the Living Dead. Do come, or... Bring your friends or tell your friends yeah. if you're not living because we really want to let people enjoy these cult classics not just on cult pics but on the big screen and we love meeting up and we love talking to you we had such a great time chatting to people at the uh, screening that we had in bio aspen in stockholm yeah. and i'm sure we'll do the same here and also you know you, you might both be coming over yes yes indeed we will talk it's more about that but it's it looks like uh, christina lindberg will personally introduce uh, at least two of the screenings of Anita Swedish Nymphet later on. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to the British Filth Institute for these wonderful films and TV shows. And thank you also to Kim Newman 
um, who inadvertently, you know, didn't know he was, was being quoted. interviewed for the show, <laughs> <laughs> was quoted extensively, but yeah. for giving those insights yeah. and also you'll be hearing from him in future. I think we'd, we need to get him on a future yeah. episode Pod, of Cold Picks yes, Radio and talk about Silent Night and other things, yeah. but... Um, Lots of exciting things coming up, none of which we're going to reveal now. No, we have so. to save something for later. But it, And also, we are truly signing new contracts uh, with different companies for, for upcoming movies. So we have a lot of good stuff in store for you. It's been a flurry mm. recently of, of paperwork and yep. counter signatures yes. going back and forth, Indeed. which will result in, in lots of exciting titles. So yeah. uh, cold picks forever growing. We keep having to buy more storage capacity at Cloudflare. Yep. So I think we're over 50,000 minutes now. Wonderful. So you don't, you don't have to have any problems with what to do with your spare time. Nope. For sure. We'll think of ways <laughs> of filling it. Yeah. Um, should we finish off with the song? What have you picked for us? Not by brother? us ourselves, of course. Well, you've all heard of the American indie band Death Cab for Cutie. Yes. Yeah, we're not going to listen to them. Mm-mm. We're going to listen to the song, original song, Death Cab for Cutie by the Bonzo Dog Band. Did not know that that's where the band's name came from. Yeah. But respect to them for having mm-hmm. such obscure Definitely. and tasteful yeah. choice. So that's it from us for this time. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Culpix Radio, WCPX 66.6. With me, your host, Django Nudo. And your co-host, The Smut Peddler. And here's Bonzo Dog Band with Death Cab for Cutie. That night, cutie, call the cab She left her east side drum so drab She went out on the town No one will make her love from Someone's gonna make you pay your fare The cab was racing through the night mm-hmm. His eyes in the mirror keeping cutie in sight uh-huh. When he saw cutie it gave him a threat Don't you know, baby Curves can kill Death cab for cutie Death cab for cutie Someone's gonna make you pay your fare Cutie, don't you play with faith Don't leave your love alone If you go out of the state His heart will turn Slip and sliding down a highway 31 mm-hmm. The traffic lights change from green to red They try to solve but they both wound up dead Death 
someone's gonna make you pay your fare. Someone's gonna make you pay your fare. Someone's gonna make you pay your fare. Someone's gonna make you pay your fare.